Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're only looking at one verse this morning, verse 25. You can find it on page 978 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Why are we only looking at one verse this morning, Chet? Well, let me ask you this question. When I say the word liar, what comes to mind? Do you think politicians? Do you think lawyers? Present company excluded, of course. Uh, Do you think um, maybe about criminals? Maybe you think about particular lies and how they've played out in our culture, or maybe something much more immediate, something that's happened more, more locally in your own life. How, how lies have, have played into maybe family or friends or, uh, or your immediate surroundings somehow. Perhaps you thought of Satan, the father of lies. But without a show of hands here, I'm not asking for anybody to kind of tell me, did any of you think of yourselves when I said the word liar? I said no show of hands, Keith, thank you. Keith is a liar. Um, <laughs> did you consider yourself to be a liar? pretty interesting to think about that. You know, sociologists and psychologists have estimated in studies, and they do this through polling, right? They're asking people, hey, would you fill out this questionnaire? And then based upon that, we're going to give you some some psychological information that's beyond dispute here. So take that for what it's worth, right? Um, But they, in, in these studies, they claim that the average person lies almost twice a day, 11 times per week. And just in case you're thinking, well, you know, we lie for good reasons. We, we lie to protect people, to help people, to not make them feel bad about ourselves. Well, the studies have also shown that that only happens about a quarter of the time. <clears throat> but what I was kind of curious about is this, this includes everything from the little white lie to much more intentional, outright deception. But does it include um, people really being aware of how often they might exaggerate or embellish truth? Did it count that? Because there are other studies that actually say that if we were to count those things, that people lie or embellish, exaggerate, overstate, hyperbolize three times in a 10-minute conversation. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to that. I mean, that seems pretty excessive, uh, at least in my conversations. I hope you don't lie to me that often. Uh, I don't think I lie to you that often. I might be deceived. Um, but nevertheless, that information is startling right? I mean, that's, that's shocking to think about the potential of, in a 10-minute conversation, being lied to three times. Then there's the fact of being, the issue of being lied to. There are other studies that have argued that we are lied to, on average, 200 times per day. 200 times, right? But on what level? I mean, how could you possibly quantify the number of exaggerations that we encounter on social media, like Facebook. I mean, does that change if you have, like, if I have 200 friends and you have 1,000 friends, I would think that you, you are lied to more often than I am. We think about things like um, advertisements. Well, we're never lied to in advertisements, right? I mean, has anyone not been almost suffocated in a closed space because some poor young dude bought into the lie of those Axe body spray commercials? right? You know, like, uh, okay, bro, she's not finding you irresistible. Toxic, yes. Irresistible, no. Right? What about the number of times that, that, that we, we get spun around by media? The press spins, twists, distorts truth. Or the number of times that they've received the spin and are just communicating it. And what exactly are we supposed to say if our wives ask us, does this make me look fat? 
I mean, are those situations included as well? What about the times when truth is withheld? Well, maybe we're not outright lying. We're just not telling the truth. Or when we avoid the truth or ignore the truth or tell only part of the truth but not the whole truth. Now, if these statistics are even close to accurate, and, and for the most part, I'm assuming that they're probably low with the exception of maybe the three uh, embellishments in a 10-minute conversation. I don't know about that. Is it any wonder then why people are so skeptical and distrusting of other people? Is it any wonder then why people just presume they're being lied to? Is it any wonder why people have a hard time developing intimate relationships or they break relationships so easily based upon broken trust through lies? Is it any surprise that our our culture, that there are many within our culture that believe that the truth is unknowable, that there are so many untruths, so many differences of perspective out there that we can't possibly arrive at an absolutely true truth? And then when you factor into the equation all of these intentional deceptions, well, then the truth is impossible. Many people believe that. Is it any wonder why truth and deception are treated as commodities to be used for personal advancement? People just believe that lies are inconsequential, and I'll tell the truth if that's useful to me, but I'll just as easily lie if that means that I can get ahead. Is it any real surprise that we, on one hand, abhor lying? There's maybe nothing more hated in our culture than lying, but yet, at the same time, when we lie, whether that be through exaggeration or something far greater, we do not consider ourselves to be liars. Well, that person lied to me. He's a liar. And though I lied, I'm not a liar. Now, we could sit and we could talk about the effects that lying has on relationships and on society. And no matter who you are or what you believe, we could all come to the mutual understanding that lying is morally wrong. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to recognize the detrimental effects that lying has on relationships and has on other people. But what we're going to do this morning, and when we look at Ephesians 4.25, is look from a Christian perspective of why lying is wrong. Why is lying wrong from the perspective of God and the gospel? And what we're going to see this morning from Ephesians 4.25 is that because we have put on Christ, we are to speak truth in love. Because we, as Christians, have put on Christ, we are to speak truth in love. And so let's look at our one verse Ephesians 4, 25, page 978. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And since that's so short, I'm just going to say it again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, I want to break up this verse by looking... There's a couple of ways that you could frame out this, this sermon based upon your personal preferences. Some people don't like when, when you got one, one point that's real heavy and another one that's real light. So I wanted to do the put off, put on kind of thing because that's what's happening in Ephesians 4, right? Uh, and so uh, I'm going to frame it in terms of the negative command, put away falsehood, and the positive command of speak truth or to put on truth. But you, if you need a lot more uniformity, that's just something that you really, really appreciate and really, really value. You can look at it as a four-point sermon where I'm giving you a list of reasons why we are to put away falsehood and put on truth. And that is the nature of God. You need to write this down because it's not up here, right? The nature of God, the nature of sin, the effects of the gospel, and uh, we're members one of another just the, the, our relational status as believers in Christ, okay? 
So take your pick. If you like uniformity, go with the second. I'm going to go with the first. Now, so we've got to, we're going to spend most of our time here on this first one because three of our subpoints kind of fit under this one. Uh, so the negative, point number one, put away falsehood. Now, I've said before, telling the truth versus telling lies, it's not distinctly a Christian virtue. I mean, no matter who you are or what your religious convictions are, whether you have them or whether you claim that you don't have any religious convictions, we understand that telling the truth is a universally preferable behavior, right? Telling the truth is good. Lying brings harm. Therefore, lying is bad, right? Regardless of who you are or where you're from, the general moral rule is that lying is wrong and telling the truth is right. That's a common grace to us all. That's a gift of God to us. Everyone you talk to, I mean, we could sit down and we could develop a list of pros and cons and come to that conclusion, unless, of course, you're sitting down with somebody that's very antagonistic or, you know, is clinically insane. But otherwise, we're going to come to that conclusion that lying is morally wrong and that telling the truth is morally good. Morality is not uniquely Christian, but is part of God's general revelation to all mankind. But that doesn't mean that we as Christians don't have a unique view on why. Christians should particularly care about the moral command of telling the truth versus lying. Because we do. We have, as it is, the insider scoop as to why lying is wrong and telling the truth is good. And it goes beyond just the idea of harm. You've probably heard the phrase, all truth is God's truth. Has anyone not heard that? All truth is God's truth? Right? Because truth starts with God. God created all things. Everything that has ever existed, everything that does exist, everything that will exist, everything that can be measured, and everything else that cannot be measured exists because the God of the universe created it, he sustains it, he upholds it, he governs it. We can know the truth because God created the truth, and God, the God of the universe, has made truth noble. But God is not only the creator of truth, truth is also consistent with his very nature. God is in every way true and trustworthy. God always tells the truth. He himself is the truth. And scripture affirms this over and over and over and over and over and over again. God does not lie. God always tells the truth. For example, Psalm 119, 160 tells us that the sum, the totality of God's worth word is truth, and that every one of his righteous rules endures forever. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. In Isaiah 45, verse 19, God says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. And so there it's going beyond the fact that God tells the truth, but God is actually declaring what is right. God is declaring what is true. He is the standard of what is true, the creator of what is true. He always proclaims the truth. We can trust him in everything because God is letting us know this is true. I am true. I'm the standard of truth. I'm declaring it to you. You know that it's true. Isaiah says that he is the God of truth. Jeremiah says that God dwells in truth. And we see over and over again in Scripture that he is the one true and living God. We're told of Jesus, the Son of God, in John 1, 14. The Word, that is Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus even says of himself in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And we even saw in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, that the truth is in Jesus. And just to make sure that we're truly Trinitarian here, right? John says four times in the gospel of, of John alone that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. We as Christians are to worship God in spirit and in truth. We are purified and made clean by the truth. God's word is truth. We are to rejoice in the truth, to delight in the truth, to speak the truth in love. We are to tell the truth. We are to know the truth. We are to long for the truth. We are set free by the truth. We, it should be our nature to not be able to do anything that is against the truth, but only what is for the truth. Why? Well, because truth is consistent with the nature and character of God. Christians are called to speak truth and to always tell the truth because our truthfulness is a reflection of God's very character, the God in whose image we were created. Through our salvation in Christ, not only were we originally created in the image of God, but we were recreated in the image of Christ. Or as it said in, in chapter 4, verse 24 that we saw last time, that we were created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, or quite literally in righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth. We were meant to reflect God's nature. Now, in thinking in terms of reflection, that what we do somehow reflects something else. So, let me ask you this. If we lie, whose nature are we reflecting? Well, let's start here. Satan, that fallen angel created by God who rebelled against God and who, though never beyond the authority of God, lives to oppose God's plan to redeem a people for himself. The very name Satan means adversary. And he stands wholly opposed to God and everything that would reflect the very nature of God. The devil, his other name, is, means a slanderer, a malicious backbiting accuser. We learn in Revelation 12, verse 9, that his goal is to deceive the whole world. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus spoke to those who were standing against him, and he said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character out of his own nature. And so then he calls him, he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is a liar and the father of lies. That's his nature. And when we lie, our lives tell the world that Satan is more powerful than God and that we are in league with him. Whereas we saw back in chapter 2, verse 2, we follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Is this not what happened to Ananias in, in Acts chapter 5? Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. And what was the result of Ananias' lie? He was struck dead because he was deceived and being deceived as an example of what is to come. When we practice falsehood, we reflect the character of Satan and our actions tell lies about the nature of God. 
How could we then as Christians say that we have fellowship with God if we're living in falsehood? How could we say that we have communion with the God of truth if we persist in lying? If we practice, uh, sorry, we were meant to live and to reflect the nature of God in our words, in our attitudes, in our thoughts, in our actions. Everything we do is meant to reflect who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. And so when we fail to imitate God's character, it's a personal affront to who he is, his very nature. Through our falsehood, we reflect lies about God. And so one of the first reasons why we are called to put away falsehood and to speak truth is because we were meant to be clearer reflections of the glory of God. We were meant to display his glory through our lives to other people so that other people, when they look at us and when they see us, they see the very nature and character of God. But that's only one reason to put away falsehood. The second is this, the nature of sin. The very origin of sin began with a lie. When God created everything back in Genesis, right, if you remember Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the beginning of our story, of our history of mankind, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything in what? It was very good. Man was marked by sincerity, integrity, honesty, and purity. He walked with God in the garden because he perfectly reflected the nature and character of God. He was in the image of God. But that was very short-lived, was it not? In Genesis chapter 3, they bought into a lie. And as a result, they, along with all mankind after them, fell into sin. Though they were given one simple command... Do not eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. Satan came, entered in the form of a serpent to question what? To question the nature and the truth of God. That's what the serpent was doing. He said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband also who was with her and he ate. Adam and Eve bought into the lie that if they ate, if they disobeyed God's command, they would not surely die. That God wouldn't really punish them for their sin. They bought into the lie that God was withholding something good for them. That he was, God was withholding something that was good for food, a delight to the eyes that could make them wise. They bought into the lie that this created thing, this creation that God was withholding from them was better than God, was better than all that he had already given them and all that he still had yet to give them. They bought into the lie That if they ate of a stupid piece of fruit, that they would become like God. Is anything more ridiculous or foolish? I mean, it sounds just like utter foolishness, but that's how deceptive our sinful desires are. Now, I also want to point out, when you think about that account, there's a measure of truth behind everything that Satan said. 
right? If you know how the story plays out, well, they didn't surely die, at least not immediately, right? Well, they did come to know the knowledge of good and evil. They just became enslaved by evil. It's different than what they expected. And so what's happening there is there's part truth behind every one of these lies, but it's distorted and twisted And he did not tell the full story. And what happened was they chose to take a hold of that little sliver of parts truth, which is a whole lie, rather than take a hold of all the truth, God's truth, to trust in him rather than Satan. They bought into the lie to the ruin and peril of all mankind. And through their deception, we are now enslaved by all sorts of what? Deceitful desires. We are tempted in every way to buy into the lie as well. And so though you might be tempted at this point to think really bad thoughts about Adam and Eve, don't don't be too hard on them. Because when we cave in to our deceitful desires, we buy into the exact same lies. When we sin, we believe the lie that God will not punish our sin. When we sin, we believe the lie that God is withholding something good from us. When we sin, we believe the lie that this small, perishable piece of God's creation that God is withholding from me is somehow better than God, is somehow better than all that he has given me, is somehow better than all he still will give me. When we sin, we too believe the lie that we could be like God, that we could control our lives, that we could set our own agendas, that we could basically determine for ourselves what is right and wrong in our own eyes. When we sin against God, we are seeking independence from God. The God who made us, the God who sustains our lives, we can't live without him, but yet we're trying to seek independence from him. He's given us everything, our life, our breath, our very being. Every good and perfect gift that we have ever been given and will ever be given comes from the hand of God, and yet we're going to turn against him in a moment. We're going to distrust him and discredit him and, and run away from him. For what? To choose the lie and to take hold of a stupid piece of fruit. Oh, friends, we do the exact same thing. That's how deceived we are by our sin. Is that not what Romans 1 tells us? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up to the desires of their flesh, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Anytime we sin, we buy into the lie. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. Friends, Read the whole of Romans chapter 1 and let it speak to the depth of your soul of the nature and depravity of sin. Because when we sin, we buy into the lie of idolatry. We worship and serve the created rather than the creator. We love the things that God has given us more than we love God. We abandon the truth and we devote ourselves to lies. 
And what we're ultimately worshiping when we do that, what we are, the ultimate reason for our falsehood is this, the exaltation of self. I buy into the lie that I am better than God. I'm more important than God. I'm worshiping myself. I'm loving myself. I've bought into that lie that what is most important is me. And so every single falsehood that is practiced is for the purpose of self-exaltation. So let's think about this in terms of falsehood, right? That we are to put away. Let's think about it for a moment. Why do I regularly fall into sin and practice falsehood through deceitful desires? Well, it's easy. I'm deceived by my desires. I've bought into the lie. I practice falsehood because I think that I'll get what I want from them. I think that they'll be able to satisfy me. I dupe myself into thinking that this is better, and so I commit myself to them and become enslaved by them. Why do I exaggerate? Why do I embellish? Why do I pad the data? Well, I do it to make myself look a little better in the eyes of others. Do I not? Right? Why does the fish keep getting bigger every year? Well, it makes for a better story, right? It makes me more entertaining. But why, why do I just kind of add a little bit more, just kind of go a little beyond what actually happened when I'm telling something about something that happened in my day or something that uh, happened at work or whatever? Well, I do it to make myself look better. I pad the data so that I can advance myself. Why do I lie? I lie to get what I want, right? Or I lie because I'm so deceived by my sin that I'm, think, I'm just completely oblivious to doing it. Or I do it, this, this is the reason why I do it. I lie because I want to protect myself. I'm afraid of the consequences that come with the truth. And so I lie to evade it, to avoid it, to not deal with those consequences, thinking that I can somehow get away with what I've done. Maybe I lie to conceal my true nature. I want to hide who I am from other people. Or maybe, maybe I don't outright lie. But I withhold the truth. I avoid the truth. I, I change the story. I, I ignore what's really happening. Or I tell partial truths. But the reality is I'm doing it for all the same reasons. Self-protection, self-advancement, to be looked better upon, hiding myself from others. Why do people intentionally deceive others? And I'm talking about manipulation, trying to get people led really far astray in this story. Why do people do that? Well, because they want those people with them in their lives. There's this desire to live in this false reality that I've created and I want you to be with me in it. And so I deceive you, I manipulate you, I twist the truth so that you would be with that, with me in that, that you would become part of the lie. What about false doctrine? I mean, we're talking about falsehood generally. I mean, false doctrine is part of that. Why Why do people teach false doctrine? Well, because they don't like the truth. 
And so they want to twist it to suit their own passions and likings. You know, I don't like what this scripture has to say to me, and so I'm going to cut it out. I'm going to ignore it, or I'm going to twist it around to mean something else until what I'm holding and what I'm proclaiming and what I'm trying to get you to believe along with me is false. It's a distortion of the truth. You see how we are at the center of all of that? How self-exaltation is at the center of any and all falsehood? whether that be exaggeration or lies or deception or even false teaching. Friends, nothing shows the nature of sin more clearly and more fundamentally than falsehood. It is the most despicable aspect of our sinful nature. It is the most ruinous, and yet it is by far the most common. We know that lying is wrong. We know the falsehood is wrong. We know how destructive it is. We know how unhappy it makes us. We know that if the truth comes out, it will hurt other people, maybe even ruin relationships. We've all either been caught up in a lie or maybe you've known somebody that's been caught up in a lie and in in order to keep this hurt and this decimation from happening, they just keep lying and lying and lying and lying to cover it up. And the story gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And what started out as something that was minor and manageable has grown into this deceptive web of lies and delusions that people get so caught up in that this, in this false alternate reality that they have created for themselves through their deceit that they can no longer tell the truth from a lie. They have no idea at that point what is true and what is false. Sometimes our lies get so involved that we actually demand that those who are closest to us participate in the lies as well. I seek to take those whom I love, those who are dearest to me, and I manipulate them into keeping my lie up with me. I want them to enter into my lie and to continue the lie. I mean, is this not what happens in situations involving abuse or addiction? Right? I've got this secret that I want to keep from the world. And because you love me, if you love me, you will keep my secret too. You will maintain the lie through deception, through false accusation, through ignoring the truth. Oh, friends, our lies are never innocent. They're never little and white. Because if somebody believes that it's true, they're going to start proclaiming it as truth. And it's a lie. They've entered in, even though they have no idea that it's a lie. Or maybe they do. And you're asking them to sin for you. You know, I, I, I love studying church history, so I read a lot about, or, and I've even known people, um, who have fallen into false doctrine. And, and it never starts with like just going all in, right? It's not like one day, you know, Arius woke up as a heretic, right? Or, or anything like that. Just, eh, you know what? I'm gonna deny the deity of Christ. We, we don't start there. What happens is that we look at, at some aspect of, of scripture, right? Some theological notion and, and and we come to a wrong conclusion about it, right? And it's a subtle thing. It's a real subtle thing. But that becomes a primary thing, something that we hang on to. And we start adding to it. 
right? Just kind of like a snowball, you know, rolling down a hill. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until the next thing you know, the truth has been completely distorted. The gospel has been marred. We're not telling the truth about God. And if we're teaching other people this, if we're trying to get people to believe what we believe, it's false teaching. It happens over and over again. And yet, in all of this, we go on practicing falsehood. And why? Well, because in those thousands of little moments where we're faced with that decision, do I tell the truth or do I lie? Do I embellish? Do I exaggerate? Do I deceive? Do I move off over here? In those thousands of little moments, we put ourselves before the truth of God. In those instances, we don't trust God. We don't believe what he had said, and we choose what is false as better in the moment than what is true. Even though we know if we run this out, it's never going to land at a good conclusion. It's always going to go south. Inevitably, we become enslaved by our falsehood because we make those tiny little decisions that lead us down the path of deception. And because we've rebelled against the nature of God, we have chosen ourselves and our sinful desires as better than God's gracious truth, we have condemned ourselves. We have willingly and gladly placed ourselves under the wrath of God. And deep down, we know that our lives deserve the anger and punishment of God, that there is no such thing as an insignificant, inconsequential, little white lie. I could quote a number of passages to you, but I think that one is sufficient. Revelation 21.8 makes it very clear. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And he's speaking of eternal judgment. Now, hopefully, by now, we have clearly seen the gravity of falsehood in light of the nature of God and in light of our sin, and that's motivating us already to put it away, all right? That's kind of the hope, but it still might seem really scary or overwhelming because I just told you that all liars, their portion is the lake of fire. That's not very pleasant, is it? It's serious, right? That's the truth. That's the reality of our lies. Let's see them for what they are, but my... My third reason, right, for putting away falsehood is much more promising. So we're going to swing upward now, right? Notice that this verse begins with the word therefore. It's drawing a conclusion from all that has come before it. And so far in Ephesians 1 through 3, we've seen that salvation is entirely the work of God's grace. That apart from any work of our own, God took those who were dead in their sin, those who were enslaved by the world, the devil, and their own sinful and deceitful flesh, those who were condemned under God's just and holy wrath for their sin. God has taken them and made them alive. He has saved them by his grace. Because of his love and mercy, he gave them new life in Christ so that they could respond to him to the truth of the gospel with repentance and faith. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And because of God's grace, we now have a new identity. Guys, you have to get this. 
all the moral implications of Scripture will not make sense to you. You will get them wrong unless you get this, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You have a new identity. And because God has so graciously done that in us and for us, we are called then in chapter 4 verse 1 to walk or to live in a manner worthy of that calling. He's telling us, hey, listen, you have a new identity. Be who you now really are in Christ. That's not who you are anymore. Be who you really are. Walk in that new identity. In chapter 4, verse 17 and following, we are to no longer walk. We are to no longer live as the unbelieving world lives by falling prey to these lies of the world and the devil and our own deceitful desires. Instead, we are told to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But again, what he's saying here is put on Christ. Be who you now are in him. You were created after the likeness of God in the righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth. And so be that. Be who you are. That's who you are. That's why you put away falsehood. That's no longer who you are. That old self, that doesn't belong to you. You are the new self. So be that. When God saves us by his grace... He gives us a new nature and every ethical command that he then gives us flows out of that new nature. He's not telling us to do something that we can't do. He's not telling us to be something that we are not. He's not saying, listen, if you want to earn my favor, if you want to have my righteousness, if you want to save yourself, then you get your act together. Or he's not saying to us, listen, if you want to stay in my good grace, you better clean up your act. You better tell the truth. You better not lie. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, listen, I have given you a new nature. You are a new person in Christ. I have given you my Holy Spirit to live within you, to guide you and lead you and change you. I have given you my word to direct you. That's not who you are. Stop living for it. You know that it doesn't satisfy. You know that you're something else. So be who you now are. This is why we're meant to reflect the nature and character of God. Because who we were, that old self, all that falsehood has been nailed to the cross. And we are a new creation who have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And I'm even getting ahead of myself. There's, there's more to that statement than the therefore. It says... Having put away falsehood. Did you notice that? Having put away falsehood. We are to speak truth to our neighbor. And that's present tense. Always speak truth with our neighbor. Why? Well, because you have put away falsehood. It's past tense. He's giving a reason. You speak truth because you've put away falsehood. Well, when, did, when and how did I put away falsehood? Because, you know, I look back, I don't remember a specific time where I, I just said, hey, God, I'm going to put away falsehood. And if that was part of the sinner's prayer that somebody led me in, they must have left that line out because I don't remember that. What well, has nothing to do with you and what you have done, but everything to do with what Christ has already accomplished. It's what he has done. 
When Christ died on the cross for sin, every falsehood, every embellishment, every exaggeration, every lie, every deception was nailed to the cross. And we were clothed with the righteousness of Christ. To put on Christ is the equivalent of putting away all falsehood. It's done. It's over. It's been accomplished. You are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Your falsehood has been removed. It's been done away with. Your old self has been put off. It's been taken away through turning away from your sin and following Christ. You have put on Christ. And so it's done. You have already put away falsehood. And because that is true, then you speak truth with your neighbor. So we put it away. This is the third reason why we're called to put away falsehood, because of the work of Christ and the effect of the gospel. You see, when we as redeemed sinners, as followers of Christ, continue to live in falsehood, our lives tell lies about the saving work of Christ. Our lives, in our lies, in our falsehood, tell lies about the transforming power of the gospel. If we as Christians continue to lie, it displays to the world that Christ's death accomplished nothing. You're still the same. You are a liar with a lying heart. If we continue in falsehood and perpetuate that over and over and over again, we tell the unbelieving world and we tell one another, the gospel is impotent. There is no power and the God's truth is no truth at all. And so we put it away. In the eyes of God, it is gone. And so as his redeemed people, we long to reflect his nature and character in all things. And so we put it away. God saved us from our sin. He has saved us from ourselves. He has made us new creations in Christ. We are no longer under the power of our old sinful nature. We are no longer enslaved by falsehood. And we want to display that to the world and to be free and to let other people know that there is hope from the, to be freed from the slavery of all falsehood. And so we put it away. We put it away because we know that the truth is in Christ, that his sacrifice was more than sufficient enough to pay for my sin, all of my sin, including my falsehood. And we know that he died not just to forgive me of my sin, but to change me from my sin, that I can actually go from being a liar to a truth teller because the gospel is powerful. And so I put it away. He's united us to him. He's united us to each other. We have received the promised Holy Spirit who is at work within us. We know that the gospel has the power to transform lives, to change us. And so we put it away. That's not who we are. That's not who we're becoming. And so we put it away. We don't want our lives to tell lies about God. Or to mar the truth of God in any way. And so we put it away. And so instead of speaking falsehood, we are to respond with the positive command and the much, 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 much shorter second point to speak truth. You know, the same reasons why we are to put off falsehood are the same reasons why we are to put on or speak the truth. 
because God is true and has created truth and only speaks the truth as his redeemed children, we will speak the truth according to the truth of God's word. Uh, Not only will I tell the truth, but I will also seek to know the truth and to proclaim his truth for the glory of God and the good of others. So not only do I want to be truthful in order to reflect the very likeness of God, but I also want to know what is true about God and to live and speak in such a way as to make that truth known to others. And so we, we pursue true doctrine rather than false teaching. Because of the truth of God has delivered me from my sin, the sin of falsehood, I see how deceptive and dangerous it truly is. And I do not wish to fall back into the same sinful pattern to reflect that old self, that old sinful nature in any way. And so I labor to speak the truth because I have put away what is false. It is nailed to the cross. I've been delivered from that sin and I'm now free to obey. And I'm free to reflect the nature and character of God, of the God of truth, and not reflect the world, the devil, and my own sinful and deceitful desires. And because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and made it possible for me to come to know God, to know the truth, and to have new life in him, I long to speak truth. The spirit of truth has changed me and is changing my heart through the gospel, the word of truth. And so I long to respond by exchanging, rather than exchanging the truth of God for a lie, I'm now exchanging the lie of sin and idolatry and self-exaltation for the truth because I worship God and desire to serve and exalt Christ above all things. But notice here that we all have a responsibility. It says, let each one of you speak truth. This is not optional. We all have a responsibility Not just to speak truth, but we have a responsibility to each other. That we are to speak truth with our neighbor. Well, who is our neighbor? Well, in a general sense, it's it's our fellow human being. It's all people, right? Anyone who is close or nearby. If if you speak to anyone, you are to speak truth. But in a much more particular and significant sense, your neighbor is every fellow brother and sister in the church. Remember, Ephesians was written to a local church for the local church. And we can see here clearly uh, that in the very next phrase, that we are to speak truth to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Why? Because we are members one of another. And that's that fourth reason why we are to put away falsehood and to speak truth to our neighbor, for we are members one of another. We, the church, as a body, are a system of interdependent members. We share life together. So there's no such thing as a little white lie. There's no such thing as as some falsehood that doesn't go affecting someone else. It's just impossible because we're connected. We're meant to be connected. We're meant to live connected lives. And so truth-telling is essential. When we speak, we are to speak the truth in love. We are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are to let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but rather we are to declare the gospel with boldness because we are members one of another. We've been united to each other with Christ, in Christ. He has broken down those dividing walls of hostility. Everything that would separate us, everything that would... would, 
divide us and, and lead us to live autonomous lives from one another. That has been destroyed and Christ has made one new man, one new humanity in himself, so creating peace. He has brought us together. We are now members of the same household. We are fellow citizens of God's kingdom. We are fellow bricks that we are being built together into this dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. We We have been united by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been fastened together in the bond of peace through the gospel. And our lives together, we saw in in Ephesians 3 verse 10, are meant to be the trophy. They're meant to be the display of God's wisdom and his power and his glory to the cosmos. That doesn't happen individually. That happens together. We are no longer to remain as independent, naive children who are tossed to and fro by the, by the wind of the waves and carried about by every deceitful doctrine, by human cunningness and craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, we are to speak the truth in love for what purpose? So that we all may attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's saying we are called to speak the truth to each other, to help one another, to grow and to be built up into maturity in Christ. And we do that together. I'm amazed that in this short little book, there are 23 exhortations in 15 verses for us to build one another up in some fashion. Where he uses the word each other, where you're supposed to do that to the other person or each one of us or one another. It says this over and over and over again, that we have an obligation one to another. We are to one another. And that requires intentional truth-telling. The early church father, John Chrysostom, illustrated the peril of failing to speak the truth to one another within the body by asking a few questions. He said, what would happen if the eye saw a snake in the road but lied to the foot and said everything was fine? What would happen if the tongue caught a bitter taste of poison but allowed the mouth to go ahead and drink it? What what would happen if the finger felt the edge of a blade but did nothing to help the body to evade it. The snake would bite, the poison would be swallowed, the blade would cut, the body would be hurt or even killed. The same is true for the body of Christ. Friends, our life, our fellowship, our community, our growth, our maturity is dependent upon each other speaking the truth in love and actively seeking to put away falsehood. We have an obligation one to another for this very purpose, whether you think you're keeping this secret or not. If we ignore or we allow for falsehood, it has real and mortal consequences. We have to deal with it. Whereas John McKay said, a lie is a very stab into the vitals of the body of Christ. And if we are called to love even our enemies, then there's no place in the Christian ethic for a well-intentioned lie. Our growth together as a community of faith is dependent upon trust. 
We need to know that we can trust and rely upon each other, that we will not mislead one another, that we promise to use our words to build up, to edify in truth and in love and not to harm or to destroy. And that requires integrity. It requires sincerity. It requires honesty. It requires purity. You know, it's sad. The world can look on the issue of falsehood and it can see that there's a problem. Lying is, brings harm. Lying brings destruction. Lying is bad. Lying is wrong. But it can do nothing about it. Instead, it runs headlong into it because we are constantly, apart from Christ, deceiving and being deceived. But that's not true for the Christian. Praise the Lord. There is real freedom from falsehood. We really and truly can put it away. We really and truly can speak the truth in love because we know the truth. We've been freed by the truth. We've been changed by the truth. We are being changed by the truth. It unites us together and it enables us to reflect the true nature of the God of truth. And so... Because we have put on Christ, we can truly put away falsehood and can put on the truth, speaking the truth in love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the hope that exists in the gospel. I thank you for the power of the truth to change lives and to change hearts and to lead us from being liars to truth tellers. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have minimized the sin of falsehood, for the ways that we've failed to see how that reflects your nature and glory, how that puts us in league with Satan rather than you, how that leads us into further and further into sin, into believing the lie and practicing what is false. Lord, we pray that everyone here would be freed from the enslavement of falsehood. And Lord, we thank you that that is truly possible through the work of Christ. Lord, help us to tell the truth so as to reflect the truth and beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel in all things. And that we might live together as the body of Christ to use our words to build one another up to help us to pursue maturity in Christ, to be like him. Lord, we thank you that this is possible. Help us to have your heart for truth versus falsehood. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.